Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a doof media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, also known as Thing One. And I'm Scott Daly, aka Thing Two. We're a package deal. This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wildbo's world of kicking the shit out of your mom, tendril high fives, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, we are officially starting Arc 12 Heavens with Chapter 12.1 and 12.2. Having decided to kill some dudes, Victoria heads out with the remaining mostly intact members of the Heartbreak Siders, as well as her parents. So, like the new Heartbreak Siders? Uh, they kick the shit out of some mercenaries guarding the portal to Earth N so they can go in there and then uh, kick the shit out of Love Lost and Cradle. Meanwhile, March has cost an, caused an S-class event in Brockton Bay, which just proves once and for all that God does exist and he really hates Brockton Bay. <laughs> Matt, yep. what did you think of these two chapters? These were these were great. These were fun, exciting, intense, full of great character moments uh super anxious about the cliffhanger uh, at the end of 12.2 mm-hmm. just over, overall fantastic experience yeah it's interesting because um the 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 we had we had a chapter like we've technically already been in this arc right we had an interlude chapter that started this thing off but these even so i think these still felt like start of arc chapters right like this 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 is 12.1 it is the second chapter of the arc but it feels like the first chapter of the arc so. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that I mean, I think we can predict that this arc is going to have some very unusual structural elements in terms of the interlude placements. Yeah, I think that's very fair to say. And we'll have to see if there's going to be another interlude that we can pretend like we don't already know about because it's yeah. Wednesday night. Right. And also know what its name is. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Um, yeah, let's do some announcements. Yeah. Announcements. Uh, so, Scott. Apparently, this is uh, episode 100. It of, is. Of We've Got War Hours. <laughs> we, th- this is our 100th episode of the show, not counting the Weaver Dice episodes because those are something different. Um, unfortunately, we didn't realize that till yesterday when I was just like looking on our thing and saw that. Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. 105 minus 6 is 90. Oh, no. Yep. <laughs> this is our 100th episode, and we did not prepare for it. Um, but it's, I mean, it's really cool. Like, that's, it's crazy that it's been 100 episodes. Um, yeah, I don't, can't quite wrap my mind around it. Um, yeah. Maybe maybe we'll do something special for, for our 101st since we didn't really <laughs> prepare for this one. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, but just for now, we'll just all... You know, thank you guys for sticking with us. Yeah, for 100 you. freaking episodes. 100 episodes. Um, we hope you guys have enjoyed it. We certainly have. And uh, here's to 100 more, depending on how long <laughs> Ward is. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. It's kind of crazy to think that we've done more episodes on this book than we did on Worm. Because um, I think yeah. we were at like episode 40 on Worm. So we're in like 60 something. It's crazy. Yeah, that is. That is. Uh, I didn't realize that. It's <laughs> very interesting that you said it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next announcement. Why don't you introduce Scott? This one's your baby. Yeah. So we had an idea for a fun thing to do and we're still not a hundred percent sure whether we're going to do it or not, but it's like the kind of fun thing that I just, we got the idea and I was like, Oh, we have to do this. Um, the NCAA tournament is coming up here in the United States, which is the giant 
64 team basketball tournament that basically takes over the entirety of March and some of April. Um, and we thought it would be fun to do like a we've got warm parahumans style uh, 64 tournament that uh, that we're calling March's Madness. Um, so we, we the idea was to pick 64 characters to seed them and then to run a bunch of polls throughout the month of March um, to kind of get down on who is the quote unquote best pair of humans character. Um, it's just something that we think would be fun to do. I, I We hope that people don't take it too seriously and that there's not giant wars about it. But um, we thought it would just be fun um, and we're going to be working behind the scenes because Hey guys, um, there are a lot of characters in these stories. <laughs> so for over the next um, over the next couple weeks, we're going to be working behind the scenes to uh, get that list of characters down to 64 um, and see where we go from there. Yeah, I, I'm, I think this will be fun. Um, I, I hope it's fun. I hope it's fun. Um, I hope that we don't anger people. I'm, it's going to be fun for me. Yeah, that that's way. true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. All right. But anyway, that'll start um, hopefully in March, maybe like not next week's episode, but the week after that would hopefully give me time. You know, it's really fun to theoretically do this in your head and be like, yeah, we'll just do like 64 characters and we can like divide it into different divisions. And then um, and then you start like writing down the names of characters and you're like, oh, 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 no. (laughs) Oh, oh, no. (laughs) Who am I going to leave out? How do I seed these characters? Why is X person a 16 seed? Why is that person a three seed? Yeah. And these are all the things that people will be uh, yelling at you about. Uh-huh. And, I will, and I will say, yeah, you know, Scott was really the one who made these decisions. No, I'm, it's not. It's not the truth, though. We'll just we'll, uh you know, we should just make up like a third team member and say that they did it. Yeah, it was uh, yeah. it's Jeff. Yeah. It's cut Jeff, this part out later. And we'll just say that Jeff did it. All right. Cool. <laughs> Um, let's move on, Scott. All right. Into chapter 12.1. Let's do it. And we begin in the aftermath of the horrific events of the last arc with red and blue lights flickering over our heroes, synchronizing and desynchronizing. It's fire and ice, baby. Mm hmm. Um, it's, it's great. It's, uh, (laughs) it's fun little imagery. We've been talking about this kind of color imagery throughout the entire story. And of course it makes sense within the logic of this chapter. Um, and, and this is like, it's one of those fun moments that gets my brain spinning, Matt, but it's also like, it's setting the tone for this chapter. Like, if you think about it, we're in this spot now where we had the last time we saw Victoria, she, she like came to this decision. It was a decision she was having a rough time with and she wasn't sure about. And eventually she came to this decision that, yeah, okay, we probably need to kill these guys. And then the next chapter opens with, the presence of the cops like like and and the way the text describes the law as being present here is like their 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 vehicles are parked on sidewalks normally um reserved for pedestrians their lights are flashing like you said synchronizing and desynchronizing like in a way that it's, it's never quite set it's never quite settled it just keeps changing and it's just like this overpowering presence of of authority um in the midst of victoria making this making this decision to do this thing and I just love that as as metaphor for like what's going on in her head right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know the part of this that I instantly a- attached to was was the lights synchronizing and desynchronizing. And now 
I'm still not very confident that we have any understanding of what the red and blue and the, the colors like fundamentally mean. But I like this idea that that these two symbols are like coming into phase and going out of phase, coming into phase and going out of phase. Like they're 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 they, they don't mean the same thing, but they don't mean opposite things. Sometimes they work together. Sometimes they work at cross purposes. But I don't know. I, I love I love the idea of of two different like symbols resonating at different frequencies, such that they align sometimes, but not all the time. I, th- I thought that was, you know, if if these if these colors are symbols, then having them synchronize and then desynchronize and then synchronize again, I, I think is a pretty cool concept. Yeah. No, I like that a lot. Um, I I kind of went right toward like maybe the the more literal image of it but yeah i think you're absolutely right that that you could you could see that as uh, kind of and it would match up to our like confusion about these symbols right to have it like in some time and sometimes we felt like they were very clearly meant some things and sometimes they didn't and just kind of shows that the changing nature of i mean maybe it reflects you know victoria's changing nature of what she is valuing what she isn't um, yeah yeah and and how things can seem different in different contexts or something, yeah. something along those lines yeah i like that i like that a lot cool so victoria then ruminates on how if she had made different decisions she might be among the civilian first responders rather than the capes and uh, she's thinking in that timeline would i have made headway against the nightmares and the loathing of my own skin had i made headway against the nightmares and the discomfort with skin that wasn't human and hadn't come from humans i hadn't vanquished by demons i just scared her away she she was some other earth's concern now now there are more demons. Cradle, love lost, march. I love this. I love this so much. Uh, it, it is really mom- in moments like these where, uh, like, I express they express why I love Victoria as a character so much because you have her in this terrible situation, and like anyone that finds themselves in a shitty situation, they start kind of like wondering. They look look at the scene around you and are and are wondering, um, would things be better? were I on that side of it um and the, the go-to image whenever I hear something like this I immediately connect back to my marathon running days where mm-hmm. I would be running down the road and then seeing people um standing alongside the road like the people not running the people cheering on and like when you're 20 miles into a race and you're just like I want to be that person now mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what how would how would things be going right now if I was that person not the person running the race um and that's kind of what I think is going through Victoria's head a little bit here is that she she's like forced to make this decision and and she knows she might have to take someone's life and it might have to be necessary and it kind of goes against some of the things that she believes in but it it might be necessary and you're kind of like what if I were that person over there what if I were just like one of these kids that was going to school and then I wake up and see heroes here. Um, would I be better? Am, am I better now? Like what, what, what my choices that have led me here, have they actually helped me? Have they made me worse? And she doesn't know the answer to those questions and there's not easy answers to those questions. Yeah. I, I like, I particularly like the language where she says that I hadn't vanquished my demons and then transitions to, I just scared her away. Um, which, you know, it's, it's interesting because, she she puts all of the trauma on Amy specifically. Yeah. And there's definitely more going on with her that she needs to work through than just Amy. I, I just I, this is a it's kind of a common thing with her where she'll she'll fixate on on Amy as like 
yeah, I mean, Amy's obviously the big thing that she's afraid of, that the biggest trigger, um, but there's so much more going on. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting when most people talk about like vanquishing their demons, um, they are talking about their inner demons, right? They're talking about the things that are going on internally inside themselves. Um, but when she means that here, she directly ties it to Amy. She, Amy is her demon. Um, and, and it is like she does tend to externalize. And and it's interesting here because she's externalizing and pushing away her problems while simultaneously being unfair to herself a little bit here. Because like earlier on in the sentence, she's talking about like this idea that am I really that much better? Like, have I really made that much progress now? And like, I just want to be like, Victoria, yeah, you're not like cured, quote unquote, but you're doing better than you were. Um, give yourself credit for that. You deserve some credit for for being in a, a not like a perfect place, but a better place than you were at the beginning of this whole thing. Yeah, it seems like the opposite of, you know, the frog boiling in, in the pot, because I really think that it's that she hasn't like stopped to appreciate how far she's come. Right. Um, you know, it, it's hard to it's hard to really because we've been reading this in installments, you know, in the serialized format, it's hard to remember kind of how insane the like the pace of her life has been from her point of view. She hasn't really had time to like sit back and take stock. And yeah, and, and th thus like she hasn't, you know, I, I don't even know when the last time she said she uh, had a meeting with Dr. Darnall was seems like seems like quite a while. So you know, even since that last meeting on the rooftop with him, it feels like she's made tremendous strides. And, and like the, the whole, you know, if she were to talk with him again, it seems like seems to me that the whole tone of things would be different. Yeah, yeah, she's still she's still maybe keeping some things buried, but she's just so much more able to take to take things in stride and, and handle them. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And the last thing I want to say about this whole thing is this interesting fact that we've now We've labeled Amy uh, Victoria's demon and, and implied that her her path to recovery is through this externalized force, at least in her mind. And then we link that back to Cradle, Love Lost and March, um, these three people that she has now decided uh, need to die. And I just think that's a very like like direct kind of reference. Like we, we they're both demons. Here are the demons I've decided are necessary to kill. Um, here's this, here's this other demon. I haven't vanquished that one yet. It's just in another world. And part of your head's like, are we like in her mind? Does she see maybe removing Amy in the same way that she feels she needs to remove Cradle uh, as necessary now? And I think that's like these kind of things become inexorably linked when we when we use that kind of wording around both sets of people. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very interesting. I mean, she's definitely had this thought more than once that man i would sure feel a lot better if amy just died <laughs> right um, and and i i agree that that's definitely kind of a, a a beat that's coming up here again and i do think that she's realized that um just go away amy is not going to solve her problems mm -hmm. um but but she's still externalizing it right she's still saying that problem is out there it's not something within me that i need to work on it's that she's still out there and even though she's not here um that doesn't mean my problem solved. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So she continues to ruminate on how she can't just be one of these identities that vie within her. And this makes her unsure where she stands, 
but she chooses to focus on having other people to focus on because in her words, uh, as she thinks, I was fueled by dwelling on others. Yeah, yeah, this is, I mean, we just talked about how she was being a little unfair to herself. And in this moment, I think she's being very honest with herself. This idea that um, I I have I have realized things about myself. I have realized I can't just be 100% the warrior monk. I can't just be the scholar. I have to be more than that. Um, and then this realization that, okay, um, when I'm with people, though, when I'm helping people, when I can focus on others, um, I... I do I do better. And mm-hmm. I, when I have other people to dwell on and I like this, this is like this this basic understanding or this basic question of why do our superheroes do the things that they do? Right. Like, why does Superman go out there and save people? Um, and, and a lot of times, you know, comics and, and stories like this are just really fine with the idea of, well, because he can and because that's just who he is. And that's a satisfying answer for a lot of stories, but it's not a satisfying answer for this story. And I think that it is, it is a great idea that Wild Bo with this character is exploring the idea of why people help people. And one of the reasons why Victoria helps people is because it, it gives her energy. It, it like it, it, it heals her to help other people a little bit. And we've seen this in her from the very beginning of the story when she went and helped those kids in the hospital and did the, the flying lessons with them. And it's still true now. She is at her best when she can focus on other people that need her. Yeah, I'm reminded of her interaction with Ashley on the on the chat program where she's like, you know, helping other people is is important to do i don't remember the, the language that she used exactly but yeah ashley of course responded you know that's that's stupid right but um but that that's that's this big streak in her character and you know i think it's one really cool thing is that i think glory girl was motivated by a need to kind of live up to her parents expectations and a desire to like fix the world by punching bad guys hard enough mm-hmm. that the world gets fixed and 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 Terry's is is like an entirely about um making sure people are okay and and as she says like explicitly at some point making sure that that terrible things like what happened to her don't happen to other people so yeah. it's all about helping and protecting people now would you say that glory girl was all about glory girl Sure, sure, yeah. We'll go with that. <laughs> okay, we can move on now. That was bad. I apologize. It's 100 episodes. Give me a break. Yeah, yeah. We're, uh, <laughs> I'm out of jokes. You, you, I'm out you of think jokes. we, think we get better at this over time, but no. Um, so there's this bit that um, I didn't actually parse right the first time I read it, but uh, on the second time I, I did, and, and I thought it was worth pulling out that um, Victoria glances at Rachel's canines and then she basically does like a textual double take as, <laughs> as she identifies one as a Husky and then looks at it again is like, wait, that's not a Husky. And, uh, yeah, it, it's fun because this is bastard and hello bastard. We missed you. Um, this is our giant wolf monster. And, and, and it's fun because I think in the best kind of sequel way, this is something that like works for people that remember that this is her awesome wolf that she got. Um, but it, like, it's just a moment that like would just sail by a person who either forgot that or, um, 
or for some reason didn't read worm. I don't know. Um, it's just this moment that's like, it's this little, this little, it's not fan service, but it's not, not fan service. Like it's just a little fun moment where you're like, Hey, because the text really never draws attention to this, right? Like she never says, is that a wolf? She never says, Oh yeah, that's, this is, this is bastard. This is my wolf bastard. Um, that stuff never happens in the book. It's just like, Oh, it's just a Husky. And wait, what the, what? And then, then the, the text just moves on. And she, a little bit later when we see, uh, Bastard fully transformed. She just calls it a wolf. Um, and I think that's like a great way to do like fan servicey stuff where you're not like, look, look at it. Let's pay attention to it. It's just like we just pass right over it and then move on with the story. Yeah. I mean, just the way it's written feels very realistic, too. Like if you're walking on the street and you you see a you see a dog and you're like, oh, that dog looks a little. Wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> It's not a dog like like that. That's how basically exactly how your thought process would go. Right. Um, I, I have a husky and people think it's a wolf sometimes. So I, <laughs> I definitely see the, doing the opposite as mm-hmm. something a person would do for sure. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, I also wanted to point out this moment where Victoria observes Precipice wearing his Daft Punk costume <laughs> next to Chastity wearing an upscale coat and boots next to Cassie wearing a patched bomber jacket uh, with a haircut to match. And I, I guess I just like how Victoria, and by that I mean Wildbo, is constantly able to use observations on clothing to find ways of saying deeper things about the characters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen some people complain about Victoria's fashion sense tendency in some discussions before, and I just had to be like, What? It's awesome. Look, I mean, look at it right here. It's it's perfect. Like that we we have these three characters standing around each other and we're trying to make it distinct how different they are. And yet they are all hanging out together. And, and we can do that very easily by just painting the way that they dress. And right. And it, it makes perfect sense to our character why she would be aware of that. And it also like we we, we kind of define these three as a unit um, throughout the rest of this chapter. Um, in some rather funny ways, but they are like a, a, a weird unit because they don't quite all fit together. Yeah, I, just to briefly like talk about how much I love this some more. Like, I can't think <laughs> of how many other like stories that you read where your character is like a, a knight or something, and for some reason in this knight's internal monologue, they're like describing the dresses of all of the ladies and all of the 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 tapestries and the it's like okay well obviously the knight is not the knight doesn't give a shit about that the author just wants to describe that to you but by having victoria be a character who cares very much about fashion and and reads into people's clothing in an almost like sherlock holmes fashion of like deducing things about them from their clothing now i now wildbo has created a, a, a very good reason to be describing people's clothing and you actually pay attention to it instead of being like, oh, my God, more fucking dress descriptions. Um, you know, like, like it's <laughs> it's a very clever it's a very clever writing device. I think it's it's I, I can't say enough good things about this. No, I think you're right. And I think what what it can do, like it takes one of the disadvantages of the first person point of view, which is that you're supposed to be through a character's eyes and what and and that limits you because you need reasons for the character to be observing things. And so I think a lot of authors would be content with just, well, you know, I just need, I need people to understand what people look like. Like I, I I need to do that. But this author doesn't do that. He goes the extra mile and writes it into the characterization of his characters in a way that, that makes sense. Right. Exactly. 
All right, so Rain hasn't been able to figure out Cradle's whip yet from its broken remains, and we get a moment of everyone being really angry at the idea that Love Lost was working to incorporate the same concept into her whip claws, uh, with Rain actually leading the anger brigade here. Yeah, and it's that last part that is the most important to me, I think. Throughout the horribleness of the last couple of arcs, I think Rain has kind of just been silently, like, in the background, like rather emotionless um and, and it, to me it it shows like it's demonstrative of this this he's torn between the fact that he's mad at what these people are doing um but also feels this extreme amount of guilt for feeling like he's the one that caused this and therefore because he did this he's responsible for everything these people do and i think it's this push and this internal push and pull with him where he's like what they're doing is disgusting and i hate it and i want to get mad about it but it's my it's my fault um and and I think I think this moment shows that that anger at them um, is starting to win out over the guilt he's feeling right that it's getting to a point where he's just so fucking pissed off at these people that it's not like dragging him down. It's I want to do something about them. And the text does like want us to think this, I think, like the fact that it draws it out to us in with a fierceness I didn't tend to hear from him. Like it's not only drawing out the emotion that he he had, but it's drawing out the fact that this is not an emotion that he has often. So it is drawing out the distinctiveness of this fierceness in him. And I think that that matters a lot. Yeah, I think that that this has been kind of building up in the background over these last yeah. few chapters actually as as he you know, we kind of see him ruminating we kind of see him like talking through things like it doesn't it doesn't really make sense for me to turn myself in, does it? <laughs> yeah. um, and and like realizing like they they are they are at this point responsible for their own choices. Right. And they've they've gone far beyond what was justified by, you know, oh, you know, okay, I, I killed your kid. Um that's that's terrible and I and you probably deserve to get vengeance on me, but you don't deserve to cut up a whole bunch of random other kids. Right. There's only, there's only so far that guilt goes and then right. eventually you have to be like, no, this is your bad for yeah. sure. Yeah. And that kind of brings me to my, my next point with that. I wanted to talk to you a bit on something's going on with love lost, man. Like there, the, this, this idea that she was working on putting cradles technology into her whip claws, I think is significant in that we've slowly over some of these most recent chapters seen a version of this character that is not the same version of the character we met. Um, she is not someone we've already noted that she's not someone that seems like blindly driven by rage anymore, uh, like to, to get revenge. Um, she's acting differently. She's breaking her own rules. Like the, the, she cared about only like it was no kids and then it was no only certain kids. And then it was, um, seemingly indifferent to kids in general. Um, and then she's willing to do whatever the heck she did to, to cult. Like, I, I think, I, I think the book is trying to show us that, that something's not like, no, something's not right with her. And I, I have no, no idea what it is, but like, she's like whatever whatever she's signed up for here is changing her and mm -hmm. um and i think that's reflected in in rain's fierceness and his anger yeah my mind goes back to the kind of i guess a couple of times where we've seen her like stand at a distance and just kind of creepily stare at, at rain right and that that behavior was something that that we remarked on at the time is very noticeable as being like weird and different and and I wonder, you know, if something something shifted in her um, at some point. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not 
the way you would think a driven by rage to to get her revenge person would act right like this calm collected i'll I'll do it later like it's it seems different and and i think i think the book has slowly been like feeding us these these something's off about love lost stuff a little bit so Mm -hmm. um i don't know i don't know what we're gonna do with that but um it really jumped out at me here like i just the idea the idea that she was going to incorporate cradle's whip technology in her her claws like really jumped out at me as like whoa like Mm -hmm. it it, it's moved on from just okay yeah he's doing this stuff and um i want to get my revenge and therefore i'm with him And, and that's moved on to something entirely else um like I'm not cool with what he was doing or or I am cool with what he's doing, but like in a, in a very like standoffish way where I'm not involved and therefore it's not me breaking my code to, if you're going to incorporate the stuff into your weapon, your code is gone. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, so rain has lent one of his robot hands to Ashley's peg leg. <laughs> um, so now she gets some sensation through it. And I just love this specific detail of like the teammates lending their powers to cover for each other. Like she's got the peg leg is from Tristan and and now the hand is from rain and it's all, it's all working together to help her. It's like they're a family. Yeah. It's beautiful. I love it. And it it links back up to that moment at the end of the last chapter, right? When everyone was working together Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and leaning on each other and supporting each other, even people that weren't on the same team, just were a group together. And I, and I really, I loved that moment. And I, I like, I like that you pulled it out here because I really like it. Yeah. Uh, I also love that Carol is like, hi again, Rachel. Um, <laughs> I guess remembering the time that she and Victoria ran like cowards when Siberian showed up. Uh, and Rachel's like, huh, we've met, huh? What? Yeah. The first of many Carol Burns in this week's episode. Yeah. Um, Carol's, Carol's got to feel bad at the end mm-hmm. of this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder like. I definitely could see Rachel just not remembering this, but she also also is a person that's like good with faces, right? Like she recognized Chris as lab rat. Right. Um, well, yeah, I mean, she recognized his behavior basically. Sure. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, don't I just think that, that I just think that makes it even worse. It's like more of a burn because like you're so unmemorable, Carol, that not even, <laughs> not even Rachel remembered you. Yeah. Right. I, I, I mean, I, I do want, I do wonder what's going on here because like how many, capes as rachel interacted with who could turn into a sphere that looks like that you know true yeah we'll see we'll see or she's just doing it because everyone wants to burn carol yeah maybe she's just I mean, title this everybody hates carol it's yeah this episode title kind of is yeah um so then everybody hits on rain <laughs> yeah uh the whole side thing with ladies loving rain continues to just delight me <laughs> I like I don't know if he's like using that make his face sexy thing that Kenzie gave him or not like we don't know that for sure like we we knew he was using that in the hospital right like they made a specific note that he was using in the hospital but he's out here and he's got his mask so I mean maybe he's got it turned on I don't know I don't know but it's just (laughs) hilarious to me yeah I mean my my response either way he was described as looking like Nicolas Cage. So, I mean, you can't really do much better than that in my book. Um, moving on. Uh, the team mounts up on monster dogs and vehicles, and Victoria initiates a group phone call to coordinate. She recognizes the fact that she's the only one who know who not, not only knows everybody, 
but knows all the facts that are pertinent to the mission. And so it's assumed that she'll lead. Yeah. And I wonder if it's worth tracking the moments where Victoria slots herself in as the reluctant leader where she like takes charge because no one else is going to and no one mm. else can. And I mean, she just likes to lead. Right. And she doesn't ever phrase it that way. Um, it's just always like, well, no one else is going to do this, so I have to. Um, but I think she enjoys that position. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. She she doesn't. I think that, that that was one thing that, you know, came up in the discussion of like Victoria's leadership qualities is like she she's she's not like I I am a leader. Like that's not part of her identity. It's right. just it's I, I don't know. Like I, I, I do this a lot where like if a problem isn't getting solved, I'm just like, all right, well, this is frustrating to me. So I guess I'm going to take ownership of this. And Yeah, I mean, it, it slots into her, her general desire to help people right like her, if her if her focus is to help those around her sometimes to help those around you you have to take charge right and so yeah she's never just going to be like i am the leader she it's always going to be framed in the fact that in order to help these people i have to be in charge of them right now i mean what's funny is she's clearly the leader of breakthrough <laughs> right yeah <laughs> but, that, definitely but, but that conversation has never been had has it no right? I can't write as far as I can recall the last time anyone explicitly discussed leadership. It was, it was, uh, Tristan's kind of the leader and also Ashley's kind of the co-leader, which, <laughs> yeah. which she gradually was just like, yeah, fuck it. I don't, I don't have the makeup to be the leader at all, but I mean that, and that was mostly just Ashley being like, no, I like, I don't think Ashley ever was the leader in any kind of real way. It's just right. that that's the way she saw herself and therefore did not want to be excluded from that part of the conversation. Yeah. Well, she couldn't, she couldn't not be the leader. Yeah. Therefore, therefore, she was the co-leader. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But she I mean, Victoria, definitely. And, and I, there is still some sharing with Tristan that goes on. But in in this moment. Yeah. Um, Tristan's not really around. So that's true. Uh, Byron is great, but he's not really a leader and she's going to step up. Yeah. Yeah. So Victoria splits the forces according to ability to be combat effective while being relatively stealthy. Um, only getting minor pushback on her decisions. <laughs> I just wanted to note how much I love Ashley's character progression throughout these two chapters. Well, okay, throughout the story, really, but as as exhibited in, in these two chapters, where you know she's gone from this volatile, prickly, barely a team member person to somebody whose edges haven't like been entirely smoothed down. But if Victoria gives her an order and the order makes sense, she she like sighs and nods and. I don't know. Like, I just, I, I love, I love where she is now where she's just like, she, she is a team player. And, and a lot of her, a lot of her being ridiculous is just kind of a perfunctory, like, yeah, she's not just going to like nod enthusiastically when you give her an order, but she, but she's going to listen. She's going to, yeah. she's going to cooperate. It is a grudging acquiescence, right? Like yeah. she will do what you want, but she's not just going to be like, okay, um right, yeah right. yeah and and an earlier version of ashley would have probably bickered and thrown a fit here as i think we will see uh very specifically through damsel in the next chapter um but this this version of ashley this this changed ashley does not mm -hmm. right i love i love this whole part though i love like the general frustration victoria has at the pushback she gets and how that pushback is framed like she's we need people to be stealthy rachel you're not stealthy i can be quiet Rachel said she can be quiet. Like, I can just imagine that like, having to hear both of those. I can imagine that being so annoying. Um, and like Victoria is just basically like, ah, fuck. OK, yeah, no, you're right. Um, just 
Just trust me on this. <laughs> right. What I meant was just <laughs> fucking listen to me. Yeah. Um, then Victoria tells everyone that they have the go ahead to kill. Scott. What? They they do? And she says, Mayor says yes, for all that counts. Lawyer, I had to remember my mom was present. How to relay the tacit permission without throwing a wrench into, into Natalie's professional life. Talk to me, my mother said. She wouldn't tell you yes, but today she isn't telling you no either. I think that's as close as you're going to get. Essentially my take on it. What? <laughs> this is interesting, right? Yeah. Um, it is a loose interpretation of the conversations that happened um nowhere in either of the conversations was it said you have permission to do this um the mayor said you don't have to ask me for permission but then also very explicitly said i cannot promise you protection from consequence for doing this which is not the same thing as saying yes right. at all um uh, natalie's response was basically nothing natalie I mean, it is true that Natalie did not say no or yes, but she didn't say to Victoria that I'm not saying yes or no. Like the, the extent of the thing was, you want me to sign off on murder? And then they moved on to other stuff. Yeah, then I'm going to go go upstairs and then not say anything further about yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, like fundamentally, it's, it's not about permission because neither right. Natalie nor Citrine has the authority to give permission. Right. What they have is the authority, is the... I think it would be smarter to say like objectivity and and awareness to be able to say, yeah, go ahead and do that. And it'll probably end up OK for your team. You probably yeah. won't all go to prison. Yeah. And neither of them actually said that either. So. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the, the fact that Victoria is conveying to everyone that they basically have a mandate from the authorities like her mom, her mom does help because her mom says like, it's not a no and it's not a yes. Yeah. So everyone who's involved now knows it's not a no and it's not a yes. Right. So, yeah. So at least, at least they're, at least they're aware of that and they're moving forward with that understanding. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that's important. And part of me wonders, and I don't want to be unfair here cause we don't, we don't know the answer to this question, but part of me wonders, um, Victoria's about to talk. Then she remembers her mom's there. And I like I wonder how she would have described what lawyer said if her mom wasn't present and didn't know what Natalie said or 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 what didn't have like close contact and a, and a relationship with Natalie. You yeah, know? I don't yeah, know. Right. I mean, I I just I love I I I, I hate love the phrase tacit permission because it's like <laughs> tacit permission. Like that's that's just a really good way to like throw someone under the bus and get plausible deniability for it. Right. You know, like <laughs> there's no, there's no circumstance where I want someone to give me tacit permission. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, you're probably trying to screw me over. If you, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's, mm -hmm. it's not a, it's not a reliable thing to, to, to rely on. Yeah. And one of the things we didn't talk about last week that I, we didn't phrase it this way last week, but I think maybe we should have is the, is that idea of, I need your objectivity because I know I am not objective here. The fact that, Victoria wants revenge. And she says in this chapter, I want revenge. I am admitting that to myself. This is what I want. I want revenge for my friends. I'm pissed off. And so just having someone to just be a little bit objective um, on this is what she really wanted. And she didn't really get it. I mean, like 
she didn't not get it either, which is, I guess, what they're going for. But but she, but she not to a satisfactory level, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. She didn't get that at all. Um, she's going to move forward anyway, though. And yeah. that's, I think, the point here. Well, they kind of have to. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. It's like whether or not you get permission to do the thing, the thing has to be done. Right. True. Yeah, true. So Rachel's dogs sniff out the path of the villains and everyone heads to the Earth End portal. There are eight cars and 15 people gathered outside ready uh, for an attack. And there's a small snag as Victoria solicits advice. And then everything her mom says is the wrong thing. uh, Because pretty much anything Carol could possibly say would be the wrong thing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, There's going to be plenty of time to shit on Carol in this episode. Yeah. I don't think this is one of those spots, though. Yeah. I think this I think anything I think, like I said, anything she says here would have nettled victoria in one way or another yeah yeah i mean carol does not like butt in with advice she doesn't say anything until she's asked and then she offers genuinely good advice like look we have to move fast like we we have to go we have to go now um i think don't let perfect be the enemy of good it might be something that nettles victoria but it's sometimes just a truism that you need in planning your how you're going to attack these guys um and like Carol sees that Victoria's hackles get raised a little bit and responds to it. And, and and Victoria admits that this happens. Like Carol notices her agitation and says, you know, the team and the team dynamic better. Like, so she defers to her in this moment. She says, here's what I think you asked me. Here's what I think. Um, this upset you. So then she backs off and says, OK, but, you know, your team and the dynamic better. So you make the call. Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, it's good advice, right? Because it's like yeah. the the thing about like a, like planning combat operations. From my understanding, is that if you're if you're leading combat operations, you're always going to want to like take forever because yeah. you can always improve the plan. But in a situation like this, Carol's like like speed is actually what we want. The faster right. we're in there, the better. So, yeah, right. And and I love this part where she says. I looked to my dad for backup. My dad wasn't my dad right now. Um, And this will be the second time in the chapter that Victoria has specifically noticed that her father shifts modes, um, shifts from being dad, being guy who rolls a light ball to help a kid feel better to being the Kate version of himself. And it is interesting that she never points out that her mom has this mode shift. Like that is not something that Victoria is aware of or capable of being aware of is a mode shift in her mother. It's just specifically her father. Mm -hmm. True. Yeah. But I also like I also like the way that's worded. I look to my dad for backup backup on what? Like against your mom? Like, was she right. being like, was she being oppressive? To, like, she just deferred to you. She said, you know, the team and the team dynamic better. I'm deferring to you. Um, and yeah. I just it's like looking for backup. Like, I yeah, I, I agree completely because she she asked for advice and her mom gave her advice. Yeah. And then she looks to her dad for backup and like what she wants is for her dad to, is to like put her put his hand on Carol's shoulder and be like, you know, you back down, back right. down. But, but like that's not at all what's needed here, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Victoria's plan is to blitz using old school new wave tactics, secure the portal in the center of the building and then mop up everybody who's left. A lot of the plan actually relies on just telling Sveta, uh, Go in there and try to snag people and uh, not kill them. Yeah, let's uh, let's save the Sveta talk for a little bit later because I think yeah. we're going to have a lot to say about her. But um, it also relies on Rachel not getting to charge in, which makes her 
grumpy as well, um, yeah. but still compliant. She still listens, which yeah, shows true. a level of respect for Victoria. I think that uh, she's earned from Rachel. Yeah, you know, I was I was uh, listening to uh, like arc three of Worm uh, yesterday for some reason. What? And <laughs> that's really random. I've, yeah, it it is. <laughs> um, and I was just reminded of like how different this Rachel is, you know, because um, that basically like everything anybody said to her, she'd be like, "You want to fucking make something of it?" And <laughs> and now it's you know, she's she's cooperative. She she yeah. has her place in the world. Yeah, I mean, Victoria says her grumbles are not helpful, but also they're not like active resistance. Right. So the new wave technique is pretty awesome, actually. Flashbang makes bombs of varying intensity, and then he hands them to Brandish, who shifts into her indestructible sphere, uh, kind of taking the, the bombs with her. And then Antares throws the sphere with her super strength. And it says, with a bit of wretch strength, I hurled the sphere. It crashed into the two guys on guard duty. I landed and I kicked it, channeling about seven years of active frustration with the maternal unit into the kick. I love that so much. I love it too. There's there's not too many situations that exist in the world where kicking the shit out of your mother um, would be considered a, a therapeutic, healthy activity to do. I uh-huh. think this is it. I think this is the one, the one, the one place where that's okay. Yep. Your mom is invulnerable and you're using her to knock down a bunch of bad guys. Yeah. Um, I, I love the the she she reduces her to the maternal unit here, yeah. Um, which I mean could just be an author wanting to use different words for mom, but it also is very like standoffish and cold. Like it's not like it's it's the most technical way to define that relationship possible, right? Yeah, no, I mean I, I I think there's something to that actually because she also I'm pretty sure she, like in her phone contacts list at the beginning of the story, she has her listed as like parental unit number one or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, which, which is in that, in that case, actually, I think an intentional like clinical way of distancing herself from her mom and, and all of her connections to people. Yeah, I agree. So then the sphere crashes into a bunch of people and Brandish shifts back and then lays waste from a superior vantage point with the bombs also including dud bombs, which are just meant to make people take cover, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and like Brandish knows which ones are the dud ones, so she can like weave through the explosions by going to where the dud ones are that nobody else knows about. It's really cool. And there's not a lot of like analytical stuff to say about this. I, I just appreciate that the writing gives this to us. You know, yeah. we have this team that worked together for a long, long time, and we've now put them back together temporarily and the writing pays that off for us in a really fun way. Like, of course they're going to have, you know, techniques and moves and and strategies that all work off each other perfectly because they've been together for so long. And, and they're also like very kind of clinical in their caping, right? Like they're not, they're not like, they're very organized. That's just the way these, these people are. So it just, I just, I just appreciate that the story took the time to go there and made a cool moment for it, for us. That's like in line with all of our characters. Yeah, I mean, I, I was actually thinking about how in, in so much superhero fiction that I've consumed, there's an absence of this kind of thing where that where where it should be present. Like you've got a team who a team of superheroes who have worked together for, you know, 10 years or whatever is is in the is in the story and they don't really take advantage of power synergies. They just kind of all rush in, you know. Yeah. And, and so it's like, yeah, this is this is what would happen if you yeah. were if you were an experienced team who'd worked together. For and a I long think, time. you know, based on our, on our knowledge of you know how the wards worked and how the protectorate worked, 
um, this seems different from that too. Cause I mean, that, that was one thing that really bothered Taylor back in the day was that they didn't like plan these teams around synergy very much. Mm-hmm. Um, there was so much politicking going on in it. Um, but now here we have this team that synergizes really well and, yeah. and shows how new wave is, is distinct from the other hero groups as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I, I forgot about that. Um, so I love this. My dad caught my mom out of the air. Those days in the gym hadn't been for nothing. When she changed back, she was in his arms, her face close to his. Dorky, lame, embarrassing. Um, so this is funny and all. But it then segues into Victoria resenting that she didn't get more of that in her life uh, as much as Dr. Darnell might have asked her to like deal with that. Yeah. And I, I thought that was an interesting like way of turning that uh, moment yeah, I mean, it's this thing that, like, I think every kid kind of has about seeing their parents, like, being lovey-dovey, right? Like, it's just like, oh, that's lame. Yeah. Um, but also, I don't know, not by the time you're, like, 19 or 20. Like, like it's it's probably, like, something I think once you, once you shift to adulthood, your parents being affectionate to each other is not something that, like, you have that kind of reaction to. That, like, oh, this is embarrassing reaction to. Um, but Victoria still does, and I think that that hints towards obviously the complex relationship she has with both her parents. She specifically mentions here that she thinks like, why didn't I get more of that kind of affection? Like, why, why didn't I have that? Like, I, I, and yeah, she can't really analyze it right now. Cause she's like in the middle of a fight, but I just think it's like so shocking how immediate that, that reaction is. And then how like immediately she starts inspecting it after that. Yeah, you're right. It's almost a sequence of like reaction, reaction to the reaction. And then, metacognitive therapeutic analysis of what all of that meant. Yeah. Um, I think that's, it speaks to what a complex and like self-aware character this is. Yeah, absolutely. So then Sveta enters the picture first helping a guy off the roof and then bursting into the building with Ashley in close quarters with allies and Victoria notes how in control she seems. Yeah. We get, we get that, that reference to the, Sechen ranges. Am I saying that right? So I, don't I don't know. know. Sure. I don't know. The, the ranges, which is just a fancy term for Taylor got more bugs when she got more trapped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so we, we get that, like she's like trying to link that she's, she's like going down a Cape nerd hole, linking that to, uh, to have Sveta's control seems to be a lot more focused. Like we get this really like, specific description about how like her tendrils are not pulling at her face like grabbing every corner and like pulling and like that they're like her face is clear and that's that's different from the way she remembers her in the past and it's very like specific imagery that we're getting here um and it's it's going to matter a lot as we continue to explore sveta yeah yeah one awesome thing about the sveta situation here is that sveta's been a a beloved character in my brain for so long that if I ever had the thought like, man, Sveta would be really awesome if you could control her power. Yeah. Then I've forgotten that. And I've just now taken for granted that Sveta can't control her power and she has to stay away from people and she has to use prosthetic suits and so on and so forth. And now it's like a payoff for, for a setup that I forgot about if it ever existed. And, And there's a weird kind of like, satisfaction that comes with seeing her almost like living up to a potential that you forgot she even had, Yeah, you know, cause she, the, she, she's like an MVP here. 
But there's an inherent contradiction in that. And that's what I love about it. Because mm-hmm. we, see, we see in this moment, can you grab the brandish ball? I asked. Yes, was the whisper. Hearing the whisper, knowing my friend, I got it. Sveta turned away, headed down low while tendrils reached up. I felt a pang of sympathy, but I couldn't afford to act on it. And, and this is this is what I love about this, because you're absolutely right. This is this is Sveta. And throughout both these chapters, this is Sveta realizing the the full potential of what her power can do when it's under control. It's incredible. It's it's focused and great and kind of badass. But it is inherently contradictory with the person she wants to be, because. Like she controlling her power was like something to do for survival but it's not what she wanted. What she wants is to be a human. What she wants is to have a body. What she wants is to be a teenage girl. What she wants is not like full amazing control over these tendrils. She doesn't want the tendrils. And, and, and I love that the text like spells this out for us a little bit later in the fight or with this moment where Victoria is realizing she was a teenage girl. And for a brief time, she had a body, a covering she loved for a shape she hated. Back then this body had been her entirety. Now, after a, a body and paint to decorate that body after clothes and clothes we've shopped for to lose her suit was to be stripped down naked before the world vulnerable on multiple levels. She wrestled with that. Even as I saw the visible triumph and how each extension of a tendril moved just a bit more accurately, just a bit less self-defeating. And, and that's, that's this wonderful contradiction in this moment where she's both happy that she's getting this control, that she's achieved this level of control over herself and every moment of that achieved control reminds her of the thing she lost and the person she's not ever going to be able to be. And that is like so fucking tragic. It's, it's, it's like, I love how complex this thing is, is rolling out to us in the middle of this really intense, like, like blitzkrieg of an attack. Um, and, and we're still doing exploring character here. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't have much to add to that. It's it's just a a, a mix of a mix of sadness. I guess bittersweet is the word, right? Yeah. Because you're you're so happy to finally see her in control in a way where she can be around people out of her suit, but she doesn't want to be around people out of her suit. No. <laughs> um, she doesn't want them to see her like that. So yeah, yeah. it's it's, uh, it's fascinating. Yeah, and I, and I love like Victoria here is wanting to be a Victoria. She's wanting to help her. She's wanting to make her feel better. And all she can do is reassure her. All she can do is yell stuff at her. Like you're doing great. Good job. Way to go. Um, words of affirmation is all she has. And, and I love this moment. Like, I wish I could hug her and put those arms, her arms around me, those arms that are gone, but I can't do that. All I can tell her is you're doing great. I love Victoria so much. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So once they're inside the building, the team uses the quote-unquote dominoes engagement to clear through 40 people in what seems like seconds. Uh, overall, the attack is a flawless victory beyond the fact that they may have injured some of these mercenaries pretty badly. <laughs> yeah, but the dominoes engagement named by Amy, which sucks because it ruined it a little. I like uh-huh. I like that beat a little bit there. But it is really interesting how the text writes this or how the text explores this attack, right? Because like the words that are used here are very interesting. Like they describe people being tossed aside. Um, like Victoria is using like that elevated violence we were talking about here, but like it's very standoffish, like in other places where we've gotten like bones broke and I felt it um, here. It's like there were people with guns 
and I flew into each of them and then mm-hmm. it just moves on. Um, there were people making a break for it and I dealt with them. I helped them down the stairs in the most debilitating way possible. Like she's seeking out uh, the the big guys to, so that, that she's allowed to use a little more force on here. There's this one moment where Chastity like slaps a person down and, and we note that there was no smile, no triumph in the act and relating it back to the love loss fight or the sorry, the Lord of loss fight um, where she was like joking and happy about it. Like this is business. This is no fooling around. This is no games. This is, we are here to do business. And yeah, like you said, she says at the end of this, that we were, it was a little bloody, a little too unkind in a way that would be remembered, but we were as intact as we arrived. So they don't have time to think about those kind of things. They don't have time to think about a uh, perception of them as a group anymore. It's just like, we need to get through these people as fast as possible. And the, the writing shifts to, to measure that as well. Yeah, this this Victoria who like 80% of her thinking while fighting is like, how do I take this guy down without hurting him? It's it's I help them down the stairs in the most debilitating way possible. <laughs> I mean, that, which like I visualize as just her like bullying into them and then and like intentionally giving them like momentum so that they'll crash into the stairs and, and fold over themselves and break limbs. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the, the great thing about this is we see um, after this it does shift back. Like Victoria breaks some more people's bones in the next fight on the other side of the portal. And once again, we are back to the Victoria who uh, is very aware of each and every bone she breaks and is very aware of that kind of stuff. And, um, and now like the, the, the urgency of the situation wasn't such to where like she couldn't think about those things. So like, it's funny cause it's not like a shift happens in Victoria and now she doesn't care about the people she hurts. It was just in this one battle in this one moment. Um, they, they, they were just all business. Um, yeah. Well, I think it's important to say that Waldo perfectly conveys like why, like why, why, why is this so tense? It's because they know that if they don't succeed in this blitz, and like quick, quickly get to the portal, quickly disable everyone, then uh, there's a very good chance that their enemies on the other side will be warned or the portal could even be closed to them. Um, very right. like the outcome, the outcome for them is potentially catastrophic if they if they can't win as quickly as possible. And so like I like this is another one of those chapters where my heart was was like beating too fast for the whole chapter because I'm excited and like anxious wanting them to succeed um and that's that's great that's great action writing yeah i agree yeah uh victoria thinks about operator red briefly in in all this and she thinks uh juliet took credit for the kill which i i I just like that little you know tiny (laughs) moment because it's like hey the heartbroken got each other's backs here yeah, tell me, uh, tell me how I should feel about that, Matt. Because on the one hand, it's great to get your sisters back. On the other hand, it means that everyone has this understanding of Darlene that is not an accurate understanding of Darlene. If we're going to take the credit for the kills that she has every time, I th- I think all of the heartbroken have an accurate understanding of, of Darlene, and like it's putting sure. a lot more context on on like why, like what you know. Uh, chicken little said like i trust her with my life and and one of them was like stupid yeah it's it's like stuff like this maybe you know yeah well if you continually take that stuff off her and then don't tell anyone else about it then of course they're not going to have an accurate understanding of who she is and what she's capable of yeah it's true but i think the heartbroken are their own little tribe and they 
see no reason why other people they would they would never I don't think I don't think even the ones who dislike each other would like undercut each other to yeah. outsiders. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong about that detail, but but like I, it, I don't know. I don't they, know. They seem very cohesive to me. Yeah, they are. So once through the portal, they see TV coverage of the fight in Brockton Bay, where it seems like even Dragon's intervention doesn't stop March. We see the city unfold in much the way that March said it would when she killed Vista. Uh, and then, and then Victoria rushes back through the portal to learn what happened. Apparently what's happened is so bad that it's worth considering handing over rain. Yeah. So we leave this chapter on a, on a few big unanswered questions, right? Uh, the first, the, the first one is we, we, we know March has succeeded, um, as her interlude led us to believe that she would, but, uh, but we don't know what that means. Um, and the, the first big question is, is Vista dead? she dead here because this is very specifically worded imagery to link back to what what march would describe as as vista's dead as death as you said so um is she dead did vista just die off screen matt what do you think um i think not i think there's too many (laughs) i think there's like there's there's a lot of possibilities there right like yeah well i mean one of the things we we learn later is that like one of the reasons why like she got to Killington so fast to pop that bubble is because Killington was like folded into Brockton Bay. Cause like so much of the thing was f- so like right. maybe it's just like, Oh shit, it's helping her get around faster. Let's not do this. Yeah. Or, or just like, it was already obvious that they had lost like, like the, the desired negative outcome had happened. Mm-hmm. And so the protectorate or, you know, whatever they're calling themselves, the wardens, retreated and and so vista you know vista just retreated because yeah i I mean in in a certain sense if you've got some s-class monstrosity or or effect flooding through the area it doesn't help you to have everything all scrunched together you you kind of now want everything to be separated again now i have a question for you yes is this what you believe or is this what you want to believe I mean both, but the, the thing is, like, I think it's somewhat likely that that Vista is dead, but I'd say most likely not. I mean, if I were to have to like stand back from it and, and be very like narrative focused, like the f- it, it's too it's too neat to say like March says that X will happen when I kill Vista, and then X happens. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's fulfilling an expectation with no flavor of subversion to it. Which isn't something that you can never do while writing, because then you could just always predict that the opposite yeah. of the stated thing would happen. Um, sure. But in this case, I just really suspect that that's not what's happening here. I think that's fair. Um, I, I think she's dead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Scott. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks for um, that. Uh huh. Yeah. And everyone, I just want you to know that Scott does have a power. Such that his predictions come true retroactively. <laughs> so if if Vista dies, it's his fault. All right. I mean, I honestly don't know. I just i I was going to take the opposite uh, of you, <laughs> no matter what you said. So, <laughs> well, that way at least one of us is right. There you go. And, um. So the last bit here is that that whatever is happening, and the 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 book kind of hides this from us. Um, I think just to make a dramatic cliffhanger, right? Like, there's no. There's no real narrative reason to hide this information from us when we we are are told most of it 
almost immediately the next chapter, but it does bring us on a good cliffhanger where we we are told that the information is so bad. What is happening is so bad that for a brief moment, Victoria says, shit, maybe I should give him foil or rain. Maybe we should just do what they say. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that's pretty effective that like whatever this is, that's how bad it is. Yeah. 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 So, but, so yeah. I guess the question there is, do you believe that she would actually do it? Because my answer to that is no. I think that there was a moment of panic uh, upon learning how bad things were. And I don't believe she would suddenly be like, yeah, let's actually deal. No, I don't believe she actually would. I believe she's she's just thinking through like, I mean, if you're in a situation, for example, where like everyone is going to die, if you don't sacrifice someone, then you at least have the thought of like, well, if everyone is going to die, that means they're going to die too. So why not just sacrifice them? Yeah, it's, it's it's reasonable. It's just not something that I think she would do. Yeah. And then we move on into 12.2 and we're pretty much picking right up where we left off. Mm-hmm. Before Big V can duck back into the portal, the reinforcements arrive. Did you use Big V to just like turn the, the Vista screw? Uh-huh. Absolutely. So mean. Yeah. Uh, a blood tinged damsel of distress. Uh, we don't know whose blood that is. Yeah, we, um, ne- we don't learn that at all. Like, we see it, Victoria notes it, and then we just move on. <laughs> yep. Plus two innocuous, friendly boys wearing peacoats and hard white masks with spaces cut for their thick glasses, their foreheads labeled one and two. And I adore that my first thought, which was literally tied in my brain with, ah, the Harbingers, was, ah, thing one and thing two. <laughs> and they are. Yeah. And they're just fine with being called that, too. Yeah, that's yeah. I love that so much. So one of the things I, I kind of like, I think Wildba does this really well in his stories. Um, and some people might disagree with me on this. I don't know. But um, the ability to introduce levity into chapters where things are super dire. Um, and, and that's kind of where we are right now, where like things are like bad, like the, some shit's happening in Brockton Bay. It's super bad. Um, they're on this this revenge force to get back against the the people that just chopped up their teammates and kidnapped pieces of them. Um, things are bad. And some some of our characters have kind of been beaten into a place where they're not like really in the mood to be funny anymore. Like even Chastity, we saw in the last chapter where like she's at a mental place right now where she's not like celebrating getting to bitch slap people. Yeah. Um, and then so what do we do in that situation? Uh, we bring in two characters who are scary, but also um funny like these are very like they bring levity to this chapter a lot of the the jokes the funny lighter moments around this chapter circle around thing one and thing two um and i think that's it's it's a smart way to bring some some humor to a, a scene that is objectively awful yeah you know just just now i've i've come up with a incomplete ontology of types of arcs in wild those stories okay um there's the there's the roller coaster type of arc where wild lifts you up a little bit with the levity and the humor and the good character moments in order to plummet you downward and make you feel the the um you know the pain or the or the fear or the tension or the or the whatever and these chapters are the uh, these arcs are the ones that tend to have that like note of of levity and and lightness toward the start. Um, and then there's the kind of arcs like arc 
thirty of worm, where you're just digging deeper into the fucking hole in the earth, and there's just no light. And there's a there's definitely a narrative place for that kind of arc too, where where there's just it's everything is bad, um, and intense. And I I like that there's a place for both of those types of things. I say incomplete because I'm sure there's other ways of characterizing what he's doing, but I, I think it's interesting that you absolutely, you're absolutely right that he uses this levity to great effect in these stories. Um, but then he knows when, when levity is, is creating the opposite of the intended effect and he doesn't use it there. Yeah, I agree with that. Cool. So the good, good boys explain that the Brockton Bay situation is getting worse in the sense that the after effects of whatever terrible first thing that happened uh, are now beginning to take root and it's past the point of catastrophic. They, they agree with each other. Yeah, we still don't understand uh, what's going on. Um, and that kind of makes sense because like, why would two characters who both know what's going on, like stop and explain the thing that's going on yeah to each other that wouldn't make a lot of sense so we we don't have the reveal in this moment so we're still holding it on um but 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 the text is working you know just like the cliffhanger of the last chapter the text is working to establish just how bad this thing is um yeah and and it, it really makes it really like amps up the dread factor mm-hmm. yeah absolutely so Damsel tells Victoria that these are her brothers after a fashion, which I love as just a perfectly damsel thing to say. <laughs> Not to answer the question, going to make you puzzle it out, and then you have to work your way through a sequence of horrifying possibilities to do so. Uh, her first thought is that they could be jacks uh, before realizing that they're just harbingers. Yeah, you know when your response is, whew, just harbingers, <laughs> that things are, are, go- are going great, great. Right. Yeah, I mean, but I I love this because I think one of the things we're doing with the number boys here is like put this new wrinkle in the ongoing Ashley's saga. Um, I don't think we it, it doesn't pay off in this chapter and I think it, it might not for a bit, but we have two sets of twin clones now that are hanging out with each other. And um, this could be something this could be a method to explore characters in a very interesting way like the the number boys as we see seem very committed to staying together right like this is we'll we'll see this drawn out very specifically later in the chapter but they are they are a unit they are a package deal they call themselves um the ashley's on the other hand are not that way um ashley swan song has departed from her sister she's made different choices she's become a different person and we have to remember that the last time like our characters like had a night to just relax one of the conversations between those two were the fact that damsel will be leaving soon that she's tried this thing out um this isn't for her and she's going to leave it so in the middle of of these two characters possibly going their own separate ways we introduce uh more clones that are inexorably linked together that they have decided that they are going to be together um and that's that's a way to explore those relationships that that could be very interesting yeah yeah i love that that's that's fantastic i can't believe that i missed that that implication here i mean the the fact that i i guess i did notice like you know okay now we've got four slaughterhouse nine clones here yeah and and so this this gives us a, a lot of you know room to play with these ideas of um 
the the differences between them, the different paths that they've taken, um, the the ways in which they're similar and different, both both similar and different to their own clone, and then how the two pairs are different. Um, like the 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 Harbingers are are still very much both evil, right? <laughs> they're l- looking forward to torture murdering people, basically. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's cool. I, yeah, I do. I do hope that this is explored more, actually. So they turn off um, the portal behind them, and it says the portal behind us crackled as it shifted. The view distorted, a texture like television static rippling across the periphery. I hadn't even realized it had a proper shape beyond being a rough three-dimensional blob. It had been a building of some peculiar architecture, it seemed. It's just like a one-paragraph little touch, which reminds you, like, hey, this portal must have been a labyrinth building that then got knocked out of space-time by Scrub. Yeah, um, it will never stop being funny to me that Scrub ended up being so pivotal pivotal to not only Worm's story, but now Ward's story. Yep. Scrub. Yep. yep. We have Scrub. access to Earth in. That's that's because of Scrub. We're going to have to seed him pretty high in March's <laughs> Madness. Yeah. Scrub. <laughs> it just gets funny every time you say it. <laughs> uh, so we learn a bit more about what happened on Bet, uh, but Wildbo is really drawing out the tension of not like letting us know exactly what it was. She says uh, it was the mayor of Killington, which like we have to assume was in a gray boy loop. Uh, and basically that he instantly triggered into a broken trigger when he was released. Yeah. And that we know March is heading uh, as soon as this thing clears, she's going to head to more of the loops um, and break more out. And we know that there's one with three tra- people trapped in it. We know that, um, which could presumably make three more broken triggers and, and they're labeling a class S problem, right? Um, not a, not a threat because it's not conscious, but they're labeling it a problem. And I think this is the, the final bit of wild bow drawing a, a picture for us of how bad this thing is because class S is a very coded phrase in this, these stories. We know it, we understand it to drop that kind of wording. Um, we, we, we finally get it. I think that, Oh yeah, this is, this is worse than bad. Right. Yeah. This is on the order of all of the the big bads of whole movements of the story in the past. Can mm-hmm. can, can we I, I, maybe this is premature, but like we and the fandom at large has for a while been like, is this going to be about um, uh, Dauntless? Yeah. And, and it seems like the answer is no, because first of all, uh you can't like like second triggers aren't reliable yeah. but it but and, and also i don't think a second trigger would turn into a broken trigger regardless um so it seems like she is just going after gray boy um victims yeah it seems like the effect of popping the bubble on its own is the goal yeah right right so so i, I mean i'm just i'm just i just think it's interesting that wildbo yeah. has, has led us to believe it was going to be dauntless for for quite a while and then it seems now like it's not going to have anything to do with Dauntless. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean, Dauntless could be a fun little side effect of this whole thing. It could, yeah, but. it could absolutely be. Yeah. I'm not, that's why I was asking if maybe it's premature. Maybe, maybe that is going to come into play. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the mayor of Killington, I mean, for all we know, that was like the person that Taylor saw underneath the tarp. Yeah, that's true. So, oh God, I forgot about that. <laughs> Jesus. About yeah. Tarp. I've, I've never forgotten about that. Ever. Oh my God. Thank you for that. Yep. Thank you. Uh, so just 100 episodes. 
So just before the Harbingers can dish on, uh, dish on what exactly is going on with the broken triggers, uh, beyond saying that it's a structural issue, Rain interrupts and earns an HR violation from Victoria. <laughs> yeah, um, like this is one of those things that I think is probably like as from a reading perspective is probably like, uh, no, just explain the thing. But like. I get that in this moment, there's not time for this, right? Like they just, we just had built this whole scenario in which they had to move as fast as freaking possible um, because they're short on time. And every, every minute we let the, our enemies get further away, they're more situated. They might leave and go somewhere else. We might completely lose them. Time is of the essence here. Also, we have the, the, the clock of rain passing out, um, which is going to happen any moment now. We don't really have time to like sit around and talk about Cape shit. And of course, Victoria wants to because she's Victoria, but we there's just not time for this right now. And, and yes, it's like inherently unsatisfying, but I think it's like designed that way. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I almost want to fixate more on like would Rain grab Tristan's armor? <laughs> would, would Rain grab Ashley by the collar? Yeah, no, this is uh, no, sorry. Uh, would Victoria would Victoria grab these people? Would Victoria grab? Anyone else in the team except Rain? Probably not. Yeah. I don't think so because she just kind of pushes him around, like in general. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of a theme. It is. It is. There's this this continuous contentious relationship between the two of them. Rain has continually been the one to like interrupt and or or disagree with her. And yeah, she she roughs him a little bit here. Um, it is interesting. And I like you wonder where it's where it's leading to because it is leading to something like and i think we've we've kind of talked about why this could be like why their relation their relationship in particular is this contentious um and i don't want to repeat myself there but it, it is it is great that we keep seeing these moments like they keep happening yeah right so swan song cautions that victoria should give the harbingers very specific orders because otherwise they'll just Single-handedly run outside, capture, and torture everybody to death. Cool. Cool, 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 mm -hmm. cool. Uh, an arc or so ago, remember, an arc or so ago, Victoria was frustrated about having to make a deal with some shitty criminals. Now she's working with murder boys. And this, this is cool now, because this is where we are now. We need the murder boys. Yep. Yep. It is ironic that some of the people she cut a deal with all those arcs ago um, are now, like, standing in her way kind of like it was it was the, that same team right that is now on earth end and um yeah it's funny how life works that way yeah yeah i, I like that I hadn't, I hadn't really put that together yeah so the team leaves cassie behind with the portal closing madu uh and it says um oh yeah just interesting like dune d-o-o-n is the name of the like the bloodhound um, yes or, or the scent hound i guess i don't know if it's a bloodhound but um, I, 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 for, I had forgotten that, but uh, Cassie's staying behind with Dune, the monster dog. Rain and Brandish lend a hand in cutting their way through locked doors to get to, an, to a convenient side exit. Victoria decides that she trusts Sveta more than the Harbingers in this moment, which is nice, and it shows how much faith she's willing to put into Sveta here. And it also probably says something about how she appreciates the edge no, sorry, how how little she appreciates the edge of having two number mans at her disposal. Like, like, man, if you gave me two harbingers, I'd be using them for everything. Yeah, well, you're fucked up. 
She just got <laughs> she just got told that they're basically like a couple of monkey paws running around or it's like if you don't phrase this exactly the right way, they're going to fuck you over. Um, I'd be terrified of using them. I'd be absolutely terrified. Uh, yeah, but in order to harness the power of a monkey's paw, you have to test it. That's like the worst advice ever. <laughs> also, hey, hey, everyone, run with scissors. Are you saying that I've missed the point cook, of the monkey's paw story? We cook toast in the, the bath. I, I refuse if you to. don't cook toast in the bath, you won't know what it's like to cook toast in the bath. You have to practice cooking toast in the bath or you'll never get good at it. Um, the, the <sighs> harbingers are flirting with chastity now, which is cool. Uh, it helps that we have the same DNA. We grew up together and we enjoy each other's company. The other one clarified, believe me, growing up together does not mean you get along. Chastity said, I closed my eyes, blanking out my thoughts to avoid connecting that thought to anything relevant. Uh, hashtag family. Do you ever think like Victoria is just so tired? Yeah. <laughs> She's just like, like by everything. It's just like. <sighs> yeah. I don't want to think about this right now. Right. Please stop. Why does everything have to remind me of things that I don't want them to remind me of? Yeah. I'm so tired. Yeah. 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 I don't know how much to get sidetracked on this because I personally think of blanking out your thoughts to avoid connecting to other things to be a non-functioning coping mechanism. That's the kind of thing where like, you can do it, but all you're doing is def- is deferring. Yeah. It doesn't, th- that's, I, I'm not saying like, oh, she shouldn't have done that here. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm just merely observing like it's a, I guess it's, I'm almost wondering is that, is, and this is a question that maybe different people have different answers to, but like, is it better to have something trigger you and suck you into the dark place? Or is it better to just on the brink of that happening, see that it's about to happen and just kind of blank it out with kind of mental white noise. And then you just go on with what you were doing. Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on what that thing you were doing is like, like attacking a bunch of guys. Yeah. Like you're about to try to stop, um, bad guys from succeeding and ending the world. Um, maybe you don't want to deal with that emotion right now. True, true, true. Or like if you're operating heavy machinery (laughs) or something like that. One of these two types of things. I think one of those. I think in the long term, it is probably healthy to allow that to happen to you and to work, deal with it. But in in the practical everyday life manner, um, there are times when you just can't like you just can't deal. You like you, you, you are not literally unable to deal with that stuff at this time. And the best thing you can do is just making sure that it doesn't destroy your entire day yeah that's very fair because we've seen so many instances where she has like become distracted from what's happening at a critical juncture because of her ruminations and so she's just saying like nope 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 we gotta fight these guys now so like the whole the whole plan to split up into three that she didn't fight hard against yeah it's all your fault victoria for letting other people plan that's what happens when you let other people lead i know this is all her fault it is we're just going to both agree on that and no <laughs> one's going to have anything to say about it. Um, then Chastity comes on to the Harbingers, uh, but they inform her that uh, if she's interested in the Harbinger experience, she's got to be down for the full package of all five Kurtz Jr. The Harbinger experience is my new band name. Awesome. Yeah. 
And it's probably something that Chastity is super into, right? Five of them? Yeah, I like that she makes an amused noise. Yeah. And it's like, is that an amused noise of interest? Yeah. Sorry, Rain. Uh, you're, that, your ship has sailed, buddy. Yeah. Actually, Rain's, Rain, Rain would be relieved that the yeah, ship has sailed. Probably. Um, but he's now got Cassie. It's all over him. It's true. It's I true. feel like I feel like Chastity is just pulling women aside at every moment and being like, hey, that guy's dick is really big. <laughs> just FYI. Uh, I know you, like I know we're in like life or death situation, yeah. but giant dick. Right. Uh, Having this conversation in the midst of, of dealing with the amputations. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. Sveta tells um victoria that she feels about as good and in control as she ever has yeah um which uh this this whole conversation is happening on different sides of a door right um like they're separated by a door and they're trying to connect um victoria and and she's asking her do you feel up to this and she says she thinks she is but but like there's a door between them and and i love that that symbol of like something between them as they're having this very important conversation of like can you handle this are you okay with this are you doing okay um she can't see her in this moment and i think that's that's important yeah yeah i agree so while sveta heads outside to take care of the armed men chastity continues macking on the boys by way of bragging about how scary murderers don't scare her, which I guess she would know if that approach would work. Yeah, that's really that's a really great technique. It's like first date discussion, you know? Yeah, it's really, I mean, I, yeah, it's, it's advanced. It's advanced. Uh, Sveta abruptly calls her outside, and she qu- quickly flies out to help. And she gets a tentacle around the neck uh, for her trouble, which probably wouldn't have killed her. Uh, but she does manage to use a timely force field to push it off. Yeah, and she's really casual about this. And I think she's so casual about it because, like, she's so desperately trying to help Sveta and aid her and make her feel better in any way possible that she just, like, just, like, shrugs this off. Um, If anyone else, if it had been anyone else, they could be dead. Yeah. Like, that was very close. It was very close. Yeah. And and they're lucky. Um, And, yes, it was an isolated incident, as we'll see, but... Like if it was an isolated incident on anyone else in this group, it would have been real bad. Is this is this the second time that Sveta has has allowed a tentacle to grab Victoria? I think so. Uh oh. It just because the rule of three doesn't always mean something bad's gonna happen. I th- people are latching onto this and like, uh oh, something's happened twice. Third beat, everyone dies. It's not necessarily how it happens. I'm worried though. Um. I do like like that like so she she like the way this is phrased and I didn't actually copy paste it but um she like she like the wretch flashes in her mind and then she's un- unraveling it like almost in that same moment and then like it, the tentacle lets go when it was around her neck and that area extended to 10 feet and I'm always kind of continually shocked when the text reminds us just how big this force field blob is like the, the area that was around her neck extends out 10 feet. And it's like, you, you forget, like, I, my, I think my head always like returns to like a, just, you know, a couple feet larger than Victoria on all sides, but no, this is a big, big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. I agree. I, I, I may have even not parsed that correctly. That that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, so Sveta grabs the four men that she was supposed to grab. And then she grabs a few more men from around the corner 
that they hadn't even noticed, throwing them toward Victoria and Chastity one by one. Victoria maims a couple of them in the course of stopping their momentum, and Chastity knocks them all out. Yeah, and we talked about this a little bit in the last chapter. That now we've kind of gone back to very traditional Victoria reacting to injuries where we see ribs cracked, legs broken. Um, one of the guys that the guy that she breaks his leg, she drops him and he lands on his broken leg and she kind of winces. And is like, oh, I'm, I had to do that. Sorry. Um, yeah, we've 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 kind of gotten to this place where she's having to do this stuff. And, and, and I, I do like that, like she's still aware of it, you know, like that mm-hmm. we haven't fully gone to fuck it. Fuck these guys. I don't she, care that I'm hurting them. She's still aware of it, but like the, just the way it's worded ribs cracked, leg broken. It, it's so it, it, it comes off as a bit dismissive relative to how she normally would be. But yeah, she is paying attention to it. You're yeah. Right. I mean, it is, it is very just kind of functional though. You're right. Yeah. So Victoria then goes outside to give Sveta a high five. Yeah. And I just, I, I love I love how that moment plays out. Like she holds up a hand and Sveta's immediate reaction is stop. What? You want, right. you want me to stop? No, 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 that's not what I wanted. I just want to give you a high five. And it's like, it's kind of heartbreaking that that's the first thing Sveta sees. She sees a hand out and it's like, oh, I've done something wrong. You need me to stop. Um, yeah. Poor Sveta. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's, it, that's this whole bit here with her is so sad. Like she goes on, she says, don't worry about me. Don't feel you have to, okay? I'll manage. I can deal with the bad days. I've got support, friends. Jessica's back and she'll get in touch soon. Weld is out there and all I've wanted to do from the beginning was to stand shoulder to shoulder with him. I thought about my conversation with Weld. Fuck. (laughs) I'm sorry, it's a bad day. Fuck. Don't worry, Matt. She's got support. Jessica's back and definitely not blocking calls. Yeah. And Weld is out there definitely not thinking about how he wants to dump you because you don't have a body. Um, And if he thought your body wasn't good enough before, now it doesn't exist anymore. Uh Uh-huh. Hooray! See, I I don't know if this affected me quite that way, quite the way that you're conveying right now. Um, Because, like, I think there's some level of honesty to her saying, all I've wanted was to stand shoulder to shoulder with him. And yeah, she also wanted to date him, and she also would love to bone down with him. Um, <laughs> but she can't. She can't do that last one really. And the dating thing, like I, I don't. For it almost seems like she's not sure if it's working either. You know, like there have been times when, when when she she she's been like skeptical that it's working at all. But she legitimately does want to stand shoulder to shoulder with him as a. As as a fellow cape, you know. Yeah, and, and after he after he dumps her, she's definitely gonna still want to do that for sure. <laughs> All right, sure. fine. It's just it's just rain on my parade. Well, I mean, I think the book is doing something intentional here, though, because this is the second time within this chapter alone that Sveta has mentioned Weld as a source of strength. She she talks about how she feels as in control as she was when she left the hospital with Weld. Um, she like she she feels as good as possible, like when she left the hospital with Weld. Then again, here when, listing the the areas in which she has support and strength, she lists Weld again. I mean, we're 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 working the story back to this big elephant that's been in the room since uh, the beginning of the last arc. Um, that 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 all is not right in in the Svelde world, and uh, it's going to come to a head eventually. Uh, if if you know the world doesn't end, I gotta get through that first. Everything's gonna be fine, Scott. 
I'm sure you're right. Stop being so negative. I'm sure you're right. I'm sorry. I just let this this text it like happy endings all around. Everyone, I apologize for Scott. He keeps attempting to make predictions. We all know how that ends up. <laughs> um so Carol compliments Rachel on her tracking. Uh, and Rachel brushes off the compliment and says she just wants to hurt the people who hurt the kids. And then Carol replies with the perfect Victoriaism. I agree 100%. So we haven't quite gotten to our bad Carol moment of the week just yet. Um, but I do think it's good to pause on this right now. I, I like that you called this a Victoriaism because I do feel like that's what this is doing. Like we've already had a moment in last chapter where Victoria like was helping to um, talk firmly to the guy they had captured and the way in which she said that reminded her of her mother. Then we have this moment where chastity mentions like you two work together so well. And for a second there, Victoria thinks that she's talking about her and her mom and, and has a good, good laugh about it thinking about that. Um, but we are like, we are like linking these two characters together in an interesting way. Like we're showing the ways that they're similar and, and, and we have Carol just randomly complimenting Rachel and saying that's it's good what you're doing is good there good job and i i don't know if this is intentional but i couldn't help but link this back to what's what victoria is doing for sveta this like complimenting and like um like saying hey good good job you're doing great um maybe maybe carol sees something in rachel that she's interpreting as oh this person's in a bad way and I need to make them feel better. And that, that that link works for me. I'm not sure if that's that's a right read or not, but that's sure. what jumped in my head. No, I think so. I, I think I think that this is the same as as like Carol's reaching out to try to to try to make this like like form a connection with the, with this person, make them feel like they're on the same team. And then Rachel rebuffs her basically is, is very Rachel about it and, and doesn't really take the compliment. Um, and in, instead of being like, oh, well, fuck you. Yeah. Carol turns it into a, a judo or, you know, j- just saying like, yeah, I agree 100%, yeah. which is it literally like a phrase Victoria uses multiple times in the story. Right. And what's funny is like the one time that pops into my mind of her using it is when she's collecting her thoughts when she's at a swan song's trial and someone like throws her a curveball and, and her response is, I agree 100%, which, which is her like... <laughs> buying time to think basically in that moment that's so great i'm glad you pulled that out that's awesome so i i do wonder if this was explicitly carol being like i don't know how to respond to that so i'm just gonna say i agree with her (laughs) um i like that so much um yeah i I, the the carol victoria stuff i i feel like that's building towards something that i don't know when we're going to see the culmination of it but the fact that they're together caping together i feel like it's might be soon. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. So Foyle disables some of the vehicles with her Boshurkin, and the team is able to spy Crested Moose and Prancer among the defending capes. And she wonders what Moose would think about Cradle's whip. Moose wouldn't like it, Matt, because Moose is <laughs> the best ever. Yeah, Moose I'm loves so, his mom. He's a good guy. I'm so glad we're back to this dude. I like this this little bit character that hasn't done much, but has always been enjoyable. Well, everyone thought he was dead, but yeah. I always held the faith. I don't, I don't remember why we thought he was dead. Because I just I remember thinking he was dead. Like, we didn't see him with Prancer after the battle. We saw Prancer, we didn't see Velvet, and we didn't see Moose. Um, 
so we figured both of them were dead. But I'm pretty yeah. sure just Velvet's dead. The old, the old Vista guest. Is that her name, Velvet? Anyway. Sure. Yeah. Blue Velvet? Yeah. I think right. that's a movie. Yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> the Ashleys start complaining uh, about what a shithole Earth N is. And Carol uh, mentions, for some fucking reason, that Marquis was similar to them in terms of his appreciation for the finer things. And this then leads to a bitter argument, uh, mainly between Damsel and Carol, where Damsel drags Carol's parenting and overall accomplishments as a human being. And Carol somewhat inadvertently, but maybe intentionally, undermines Damsel's whole worldview and attacks the core identity that she's built around her rose-tinted perspective on the Boston Games. It's a Wednesday night, Matt, which means it's time for another exciting episode of Carol is Shit. This week on Carol is Shit, Carol brings up Marquis. Why? Because Carol is shit. Uh, Okay. In all seriousness, I can't fucking believe the audacity of this woman. Like it's she's just, doing, she's doing so well. She's doing so well, and like, so I was thinking about this for a long time. Like, like, because the big question is, why did you do this? Like, why? Like, no one was fucking talking about Marquis. What are you <laughs> doing? Um, and and there, I think there's a lot of reasons, right? I mean, I think like one one of this one of this one of the things is, um, she's probably like been thinking about Marquis a lot and thinking about like, like, you know how sometimes like you're in your head, you're just thinking about something and like working through something in your head. And then like someone talk, like mentions something that like <laughs> gives you an excuse to talk about the thing that you've been thinking in your head and you just like fucking jump on it. And like, yeah, afterwards you're like, that really wasn't what the conversation was about, but yeah. it just gave me an excuse to talk about this thing. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, I was that guy. Wasn't I? Yeah. Yeah. And you don't ever want to be that guy. Um, Carol's that guy here. Um, But the other thing, like I. One of the things that we didn't talk about in in the last chapter was there's this moment where um, the team is getting together. Everyone is gathering in front of the the university when they're like gearing up to go. And there's this moment where the text says um, Victoria or, or Victoria's parents would have gotten to her sooner, but they backed off when um when when ashley walked up they didn't go forward and i i read that like going through this whole chapter i read that and i was like oh shit they really don't like ashley do they and carol specifically does not like ashley and in this moment what are we what are we seeing in this moment we're seeing they're walking along um swan songs bitching about stuff and she's leaning on Victoria. She's mm-hmm. leaning on Carol's daughter. And they're supporting each other. And Carol does not like this woman and probably does not like the fact that her daughter has gotten so close with this woman. And what does she do? She talks about a random person um, who has a, a mindset that just so happens to match these two people and Carol's not stupid, right? Like that like Carol is um, sometimes completely unobservant and unwilling to like read situations, but she's not dumb. And I, there's no 
way in my mind that I'd think that she doesn't know exactly what she's doing with this line of attack. Like, I just I just think she she knows that this is this is a way that's going to agitate these two people that she doesn't like very much. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I was I think maybe the first time I read through just just straight through, I, I was like, why the fuck is she talking about this? And and then on and then on reflection, I'm like, yeah, it's definitely because she knows exactly who Damsel is and she knows what her yeah. mindset is. And she knows that this is like a torpedo directly into her soul. Um, And I mean, like, I think we're going to get to it in a second, but but like she nails Damsel with it. But Swan Song holds it together, you know? Yeah. Well, that's the thing is like, I think her original line of attack was towards Swan Song, and it's just Damsel that takes the bait because Damsel is a different person than, than Ashley is. And that's once again, how we're demonstrating how these people are different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Damsel says she doesn't recognize Carol here. And like, like, is that just a lie to make her feel bad again on top of what, on top of what Rachel said or, or, um, because we know Swan Song does because she is clearly able to like almost almost relive the the Boston games, yeah. and you would recognize like not only the costume but also the power. Uh, so yeah, is Damsel? Do you think Damsel's just lying to to make her feel insignificant here? Like, because I mean, one of the first things we learn about about Ashley is that she's like so proud of the Boston games. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she seems like she, she seems really aware of like she knows who she is because she knows she's Victoria's mother. True. Um, I, I like I think you're right that this could be an interesting avenue to kind of like hint at the fact that their memories aren't the same. That could be an interesting avenue. But I mean, I also like it as just like, I know this is going to piss you off. Like it, it's it, I like this conversation as two people um pissing each other off in the ways that they know each other's gonna be pissed off like yeah like carol goes down this line of thinking knowing that it's gonna hopefully piss off swan song and what it does is actually piss off damsel um but also swan song in, in some way um and then damsel's response is to knife carol in exactly the places where she's the most vulnerable and yeah um so so saying i don't even know who you are seems to be a really effective way of doing that yeah true true um, yeah, so as we said, Swansong is actually the one who stands up for Victoria and she tries to call off Damsel, um, which is an awesome moment for, for our, our Ashley. Yeah. But but then it's Carol who won't let it go, which is just like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. And 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 it like it keeps going into like increasingly personal and uncomfortable territory where Carol begins to reveal more about herself than she's revealing about Marquis at a certain point. And and Victoria is aware that Ashley, uh, our Ashley Swansong, is really angry, but she's held herself back this whole time for the sake of her friend. Like, why else, right? right. Which, like, I'm going to cry. Like, that's so, that's so awesome. Um, and <laughs> so Scott, Victoria thinks, is that you being upset at Marquis being slandered, just as Damsel is? Is it in my defense, both or neither? So what, what do we think about this? All of the above. <laughs> Um, I think she is kind of annoyed. I th- like one of the things that I think we've seen between Ashley and Damsel, Swan Song and Damsel, is that their view has shifted on this Marquis-like 
like powerful leadership. But I do think Swansong retains some of that. Um, so I think it's partially that I, I do think it's partially like she really doesn't like Carol and she really likes Victoria and um, it, it really annoys her that this is going on. Mm hmm. So, I mean, I think it's a little bit of, of each of those, but I, like there's this moment where as she walks away, she says, she, she asks her, do I want to ask? And, and, and at Swan Song's response is probably not. Yeah. Um, but she gave my arm a pat flinched as her broken arm crackled and leaned away walking on her own. So she like gives her a little pat on her arm. That's like, don't, it's okay. Like, don't, don't worry. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, we'll see. And and I I love. I, I'm glad you pulled that out because when her 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 arm crackles to me, that's like a little narrative grace note of hey, I remember uh, the Boston Games and she broke her arm. Yeah, and that that is what that is the raw wound that this is opening up for her right now. Yeah. Um. I mean, not only reminding her that she lost her arms entirely uh, due to her you know her choices, if you will. Um. But also when she specifically broke her arm, her, her, her arm is broken again, like, like reflecting her breaking her arm after she defeated the giant monster thing. And this is us reminding like, yeah, that, that directly tying basically Boston games, Carol to this moment, failure, failure, regret, Marquis, all of these things tied together um, yeah. by this symbol. Yeah. 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 And I think she probably on some level knows what Carol was doing. Um, mm-hmm. The real, I mean, the really interesting thing about this is Victoria's reaction to it, right, is like she does not confront her mother. She doesn't push back against her mom. And Carol's being a jerk here. And and Damsel's not not being a jerk because she is going very personal. Like the, 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 the two parts where Victoria actually says no, stop, is um, when when she brings up their relationship, because, yeah, that's not that's not something that's not something you you bring up like that's right. that's that's getting really personal i understand but she doesn't she doesn't really confront her mom here about this at all she's kind of like almost paralyzed by what her mom's bringing up and it breaks my heart because you see how hard she is at the beginning of this conversation she knows where this conversation is heading the second her mom drops marquis's name she knows exactly where this is going she's she correctly identifies exactly what her mom is going to say and exactly what bone what uh what damsel's reaction is going to be she like she she knows exactly where this is going and she tries to stop it and nobody listens to her and it just breaks your heart yeah. um because like and then and then it gets there and then she's just like the stuff her mom says she can't even respond to and the only thing she can do is is snap at damsel and she doesn't even know like am i defending my mother and it's like no no i don't think that's what yeah. you're doing you're just like you're just mad about this whole situation. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're both being unreasonable. You yeah. know what? You know what I think's happening? I think they're finishing a conversation that they started back when they were fighting in a department store. And uh, Carol said, "You know that thing where we're going to psychoanalyze each other <laughs> and, and share all of our deep dark wounds? That's not going to happen." And then she's been thinking about that conversation for like ten years. I think you're right. And uh, and now she's like, you know what? We are going to have this out right now. Um, that's what I think is happening. I think you're right. And I, and I think it is a perfect Carol thing to not realize that, that her, her avenue into this conversation is 
a triggering point for Victoria, right? Like there's a way there's, and I'm not saying it would be a good conversation to have right now, but there's a way to bridge this conversation and have it out with damsel about this thing that they've had between them without bringing Amy and Amy's father into it. There's a way to do that. And, and no, not for Carol. No, no, I don't even think it occurs to her. I think she, I think the words leave her mouth before it ever occurs to her that Mark Wiss would be a sore spot for Victoria. I think you're right. Yep. Carol. So that was fun. That was our, that was our weekly episode of, uh, Carol is shit. Come back next week where it's probably going to happen again. Yep. Um, all right. So the team is abruptly ambushed by Etna plus a ring of tinker traps set along the road. Most of the group is instantly incapacitated, excluding the Harbingers, uh, who hilariously jump up onto the shoulders of Capricorn and Flashbang. Um, so about half of the team is down, maybe maybe more. I'm not sure if I got a full count, actually. And, and suddenly they're faced with a large group of mercenaries, including Paris. Byron refuses to authorize lethal, lethal force against Paris, uh, and Victoria just goes ahead and authorizes it for him. Um, and she thinks about Byron. He wasn't a killer. Now that I knew Chris was lab rat, I could peg just about everyone in Breakthrough, Byron and myself excluded, as people who had taken lives. It was in the files. Tristan had taken life in only the loose sense, murdering his brother, and charges of attempted murder had been considered, because that was the closest equivalent they could find in the law. But for Byron and I, it meant something else. Um, True, but she's taking that burden onto herself here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really interesting, right? Because, like he's having trouble with this and he doesn't know what to do. And Victoria, once again, in the interest of her teammates, removes that from him, makes it so he doesn't have to say the words. She's the one that says, uh, the number of boys can kill him. He yep. was part of this. He was part of this. We have permission. They can do it. Don't yep. Byron. You don't have to, you don't have to be the one that says that I will say it. Go kill. Yep. So just as the team is about to counterattack, they're hit with some kind of power nullification effect, something reminiscent of the trigger vision, um, but with a briefer vision component and then a more lasting after effect. Um, like at first I thought, like, is this Noontide's power? Yeah. But, but it seemingly hit everyone at once and it, and it seemingly sapped their powers. I mean, we, we, and, and not, just the, not just our heroes. Like we actually see Paris lurch, which might imply that he's been hit too. Um, and like the fact that the harbingers are more disoriented to me just says like, well, they rely on their power for everything. So I can imagine Paris like recovering faster. Yeah. Um, and Victoria, go ahead. I I don't see this as, um, I don't see this as it only affected our team. Right. I think this is a a group. I think this is a wide affecting thing that affected Paris too. And he's just able to reach out, um, a little bit, a little bit quicker. Right, because Victoria thinks this feels like thunder of a distant lightning strike or something like that. Yeah, and so I, I mean, my my thought after that line is like, okay, this is like a, a secondary consequence of March's attack somehow. Yeah, that could be. Um, it'd be a a delay, right? Because it happened, unless unless like she succeeded again. I don't mm-hmm. know, but we didn't we didn't see anything happen when the first one, the first bubble popped. Rather, yeah. like nothing happened to any of our characters. Um. Yeah, I mean, like the like my I don't know, my feeling is that March's goal is bigger than just like I'm a create a bunch of broken triggers. 
Like, right. like, like, you know, they bring up the, the idea, the, the term structure. There's, there's, a, there's a structural issue. And when you use the word structure, to me, that implies you start breaking pieces of a, of a structure and the whole thing starts falling apart. So may, maybe it's, it's bigger than just like I'm going to cause some, some, some disasters. Maybe she's actually like after the structure of the shard world yeah for lack of a better i mean we don't yeah, know and this is an after effect of that moving on to the next phase of that yeah that mm-hmm. could be yeah so that's that's it for the chapter um sometimes i wonder if if there's a time or in place to reflect back on things that have been in the story but we haven't seen any indication of them in a while sure and to just ask ourselves um what up with that? What up with that? So, like, for example, interlude eight thought why teacher collected his second goat themed cape, um, and also veil for, and also hinted that he wasn't worried that they'd been noticed by Kinsey, and then nothing ever really came of this. So, mm-hmm. so what's up? Where where's scapegoat? What's teacher up to? Where, where does he fit in all this? Don't know. Don't That's, know either. I mean, don't know. Um, de- defeated, but don't know. Yeah, I mean, we know scapegoats. Don't, I, I kind of encourage people to go back and look at that chapter because I I re I listened to it on the on the. I mean, the reason I'm talking about this specifically is that the um, audiobook chapter uh, came out this week, the Eight Thought Why audiobook, and so I listened to it and I was <laughs> like, and I was like, oh yeah, like shit, that's like this is some important information that I haven't thought about in a long time. Yeah. Um. So. Name game. Um, flashbang is what I want to talk about. <laughs> All right. Because I was thinking like, this is the name that you would choose if you were trying to put a heroic, non-lethal, safe face on a guy who basically just makes grenades and bombs. It's pretty much all I had to say. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a good, um, <laughs> it's a good point. Like it's, how else do you describe his power in a way that's not like explosion death? Yeah. 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 C- concussion. Yeah. Right. Um, all right. Time for us to move on to the community spotlight where we read the answers to last week's discussion question. And the question last week was, what is your favorite wildbow structural technique? Uh, so first from uh, Duke Archon, uh, they mentioned that thing where um, basically, I don't actually know. Scion, Scion. Where Scion, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> Um, when, when the entities were thinking in terms of the arc titles, so oh, the arc gotcha. titles w- oh, paid yeah. off in that chapter. Okay. Yeah. 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 So yeah. In, in, in Scion's interlude when, when he keeps using all the arc titles. Yes. Yeah. I gotcha. And they were, they were duck archon, not Duke archon, Matt. Oh my God. Okay. I completely screwed that up. <laughs> Next up we have Calinero who, uh, mentioned stuff from Pact and Twig that I'm assuming Matt agrees with, but can't see. Um, but their non-spoiler answer is the concept of interludes themselves, which is an answer that quite a few people uh, took, actually. Um, Calinero says it does so many things at once. It gives us a chance to explore more of the world building, which is almost always satisfying. It appeals to fan servicey desire to get more of our fan favorite characters, but in a good way that actually isn't overindulgent. It gives us a way to see important pieces of action that our point of view character doesn't really have a reason to be present for. 
and the, the example is the fallen arc of Ward without getting to see things unfold from Rain's perspective during during his interludes. You'd either be missing a ton of context, or Rain would have to provide a lot of exposition. It provides a ton of depth to the depth to supporting characters, and finally, it gives us a reminder that Wild Bill is very good at writing different points of view, including non-human ones. Seeing different voices in the story reminds us not to accept the primary point of view as a bland default. We can see by contrast how they are providing their own baggage and insight. Uh, it's a really good answer. Yeah, it was remarkably well written, actually. I yeah. love that. I really, I really like it. I mean, one of the things I like about the interludes in general um, is just like they seem like like I, I love the story as a whole, but interludes specifically seem like a contained way to experiment with writing like we, we talked about the brutus interludes so much um it, they do different structural things like like we, i think someone else man, mentions the eclipse arc and how the structure of that paid off um there are fun things like um like in the march interlude it started with um everything matters and ends with march saying nothing matters um just like they're, they're always like contained mini stories that uh that have this fun structural build up and payoff just within them on their own and it's always fun to read them yeah yeah i agree yeah that's one of my favorite parts of the of the wild bow method as well kifru takes a meta approach discussing how Wildbow leans into the online web serialness. In Worm, the imp epilogue not having a hyperlink being the only non-spoilery for Wildbow works I can point out. Uh, it's easy to just point a story, uh, sorry, to just post the story in slices as it's written, but it takes a little extra thought to use the medium in a way that it enhances the work. It ain't something where if you miss it, you lose something, but noticing it can bring that aha. And it's little details that separate good from great. Yeah, I like that. And another thing is like the um, the the, the um, tags. Yeah. In uh, in in worm, where you, yeah. where you you'd learn you'd learn who was actually who, you know. Yeah, that was a fun little thing um, that has not carried over to Ward. Um, I think just for practicality, because that probably takes a long time to do. Yeah. Plus, it probably would have been a little bit of a giveaway if like every chapter said uh, lab rat. <laughs> well they they would have just not done it yeah but but then but then what's the point would have just been chris but then what's the point <laughs> um Zythus, uh also wants to talk about the interludes but specifically the interlude arcs the arc long interludes uh migration and eclipse especially the way their titles fit perfectly with the title themes as a whole and within their own self-contained stories the interlude arcs also manage to connect with the main story in such a consistent way as well extra bonus points to eclipse's chiastic structure um, which is what we were talking about before um yeah which is great right and and those are those are fun and those are both um single pov ones that there's also you know sentinel which rotates around all of the all of the brockton bay wards that's another yeah. fun one right i yeah. loved sentinel i really enjoyed that arc yeah hero of old iron wants to talk about the interludes as well uh they go into specifics on structural things um they love the interludes across wild bow's four works uh, but we're going to focus on what they said for ward specifically the most structurally interesting chapters by far are the breakthrough interludes each of these sets of chapters has a structure that mirrors their protagonist's perspective and the quirks of their power. Rain's interludes all focus on his relationship with one of his clustermates and are and and they they are tonally shifted toward the emotional power of that clustermate. Capricorn's Capricorn's interludes shift perspective one, from 100% Byron to 50/50 50 
to 100% Tristan and don't provide any insight to the other's twin's perspective. Ashley's arc mirrors her rise to and fall from both greatness and instability, which reflects the all-or-nothing nature of her power and the inherent drive that it instills. Kenzie's interlude might not initially seem to fit the bill, but it's told through the framing device of her diary camera. Chris's interlude starts with him at his most human and his most slave-like to Lab Rat, and ends with him at his most inhuman but also the truest he is to himself. We haven't seen anything from Sveta, so I'm calling it now. Her interludes will focus on her time with the Irregulars and the trip she and Weld took to find her home. Structurally, we can expect the interludes to build up her relationship with one of them, then suddenly tear it away from her, which mirrors how her power can be wrangled with careful and consistent effort, but which is also a very fragile state. Also predicting that there's going to be a third relationship to build and break, focusing on her time at the asylum with Victoria, because three beats. Yay. I like that a lot. I mean, I, I like their their predictions for uh, Sveta's interlude, but I really like how they just accurately and quickly summarized every little structural thing that each of these character interludes have done. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. And, and I like that they took kind of took the, the Scott approach to um, making a prediction based <laughs> on how it works in terms of like structure and theme and not just so much like, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if this happened? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Awesome. I, I, I too like that. <laughs> Sarah Penguin uh, chooses, chooses to focus more on wild bows, like arc wide story structure. And they mentioned the general frame of the story starting, you know, how each arc starts with a uh, specific character beats and character moments um and then intersects with action that is fun but a loss also like gives a reader like a, a time to process those character beats and then it kind of slows things down again at the end with more character interaction more character development um the, the general kind of f- flow of um action through the arcs themselves um and they really appreciate that and that's something we've talked about you know many times throughout this, these hundred episodes is, um, the structure of arcs and, and how they, how the action rises and falls and, and mixes those character moments in there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, um, one of my favorite things to think about actually. Master of Vilheim wants to talk about Wildbow's use of very, very subtle foreshadowing that is basically impossible to predict and offers two examples. Uh, number one, Bitch's behavior in Worm. I can pretty much guarantee that every first-time reader really did not like Bitch at first. She comes across as mean, vindictive, violent, and a general psycho. The readers are quickly faced with the idea that she's killed people before. Then we get the Brutus interlude, where we get clued in for the first time as as to what might be going on with Bitch. And then Lisa reveals to Taylor the nature of Bitch's psyche and wham. All of a sudden... A reader is reeling with the reframing of Rachel's behavior. And upon reread, everything makes sense. Number two, Kenzie smiling at odd places after, uh, like after being put down by Chris. For me personally, I thought this was maybe a minor quirk. Uh, Kenzie being lighthearted or quick to turn a negative into a positive or whatever. Then there was that reveal and I'm rereading Ward. I find myself tearing up practically every time Kenzie smiles because fuck. Yeah, I, I like this a lot because... It- you know, in general, um, there are things that that you can predict, like there are things that are are clearly set up and pay off. And there are things that are set up, but you really just don't know enough information in the story to actually make any kind of prediction. I think Kenzie smiles a perfect one like that, which is something that we called out several times throughout reading those early arcs where we were like something. This is we like 
it's just weird that she always is smiling at the wrong time. But like predicting like the, the, the reason behind that kind of stuff was really just out of anyone's grasp, I think. Um, right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's kind of like, you know, um, you, you eventually understand why Emma behaves the way she does toward Taylor. Um, but like, I don't think you could have predicted that like that was why, you know, like, yeah. so it, it's, yeah, interesting. I don't know. I don't know what the distinction is because it's not. It's not that it's foreshadowing. It's just properly laying the groundwork for like this is this is this character is this way. We're we're eventually going to find out why. Yeah. Um. You know, one piece of foreshadowing that we never reflected back on was when Rain uh, uses um the the cutting power that he shares with his cluster to cut a goat in half, and then much later in the story, the same thing happens again. Well, he didn't do it. Well, the power, the same power. I guess. And cutting a goat in half. No, that was definitely intentional. You're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. 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 Um, general uh, general comments uh, for this week. I will sell you advice. No, sorry. I will sell you a vice. <laughs> Very different. Says, uh, longtime listener, first time poster. I haven't finished this week's episode yet, but I stopped from reading something I heard Scott mention. He keeps referring to how Victoria is taking the weight of the world on herself uh, from the team. Do you, Scott, or anyone else in the thread see a similarity to the concept of a sin eater? Maybe I'm digging too much, but I feel like Victoria might be trying to assume that role for herself in a way. Yeah, this was an interesting question I saw that I thought maybe it was just worth bringing up and, and talking about for a couple minutes as we end the show. Um, what do you think? I don't know what that is. It's just a general term for someone who like eats other people's sins. So um, they don't have to have them anymore. Yeah, maybe. I mean, she, she, she's trying to make all these people who all have their own issues better. And she's trying to figure out what, like who she needs to be for each of them. And she mm-hmm. has this ritual even, I, I think I would call it a ritual where she'll like, think about each of them. Like, what do they need? What does Ashley need? What is, what does Tristan need right now? What does Feta need right now from me? And it, she thinks she, she explicitly at the start of this chapter thinks that it gives her fuel to be this way. Yeah. And it may give her fuel, but I don't know if it's entirely healthy to, to constantly be in the state of what can I give of myself? Yeah. You know, and, and, and that that's where I kind of want to pull back on saying, yes, she's a sin eater. Right. Because I don't, I don't think I don't think she like wants to take people's like the concept of a sin eater is like that. I, I eat your sins and now they are my sins and I have taken your wrongs on me now. It's kind of like what, what Jesus did. Um, I don't, I don't think that's what she's really doing here. Right. Cause she, it's not like she's saying, okay, you don't have to feel bad for the things that you've done anymore. I have taken them on me. They are mine now. That's not necessarily what she's doing. She's trying to help people. Um, she's trying to, to, it gives her strength to help people with the sins that they're struggling with, if that makes sense. So it's not like she's she's taking that she wants to take them off them, but she doesn't want to eat them. Like like Rain is a, a perfect example, like you said, because she doesn't she doesn't like she doesn't want to say like Rain, you're forgiven. I have taken that sin. What you did is mine now. That's not really how she operates. Correct. Yeah, I, I agree, especially with Rain. You know, she hasn't really let Tristan off the hook as far as I can tell. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't call her. I wouldn't call her that. But she definitely she's definitely trying to help everyone. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Um, let's move on to the discussion question for this week. So this being episode number 100, we, we get to be real self-indulgent. It's about us. It's about us. The question Talk about is, us. Favorite episode of We've Got Worm or We've Got Ward. And when why, of course. And why, of course. Yeah, what do, what do you like that we did? This is this is the only time we'll be this self-indulgent. I promise you guys. Yeah. The the other questions will be about the story. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but but I think it'll be fun to just look back and reflect. And and Matt, I want you to answer this question too. Next week. Oh. I want you to have an answer. Okay. And I will have one too. All right. Sounds good. That's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, thoughts, or questions on this week's reading. You can reach us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over on our Twitter account at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85 and Matt's is at sineatermordenamail. That's right. If you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find this and all the other shows we do over at www.doofmedia.com. Uh, I totally forgot what we're doing on the Doofcast this week, but uh, I think this is another three-episode week for Deep Impact. So uh, if you guys haven't started listening to that yet, what are you doing? I know. What are you doing? Go. It's oh, great. Now. Go. And and if you're not reading Pact, man, so late. They're so gonna, late. They're going to probably hit their 100th episode way quicker <laughs> than we did. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and if you like any of our shows under the Doof umbrella and you want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash doofmedia. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in the in the fan art and costume contests, Q&A sessions, access to live streams of our recording sessions, and our excellent Discord chat. Special thanks to new Bidoofs, uh, Mitchell O. Gudmanson. And Frank T, all at the $1 level. Uh, and uh, new Doof Troop member, Raul Z, at the $10 level. Thanks so much, everyone. Uh, we yeah, really thank appreciate you guys. that. Thanks for our 100 episode donors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and thanks to all of you guys who have donated across this whole thing. There's no way we would have gotten to 100 episodes if it wasn't for your help. Yeah, yeah. You know, I wonder if there's anyone that we've just skipped over. If, if so, then let us know. We'll... We'll get you, you know. Yeah, I, I if you've I, never heard us say your name, say your name, say yeah, your name. I, I, don't, I don't think we have skipped over anyone, but if we have, it's it's certainly a mistake. We're usually pretty good at that, yeah. Yeah. So as always, make sure you go over to Wildbo's Patreon, patreon.com slash Wildbo, and donate to him as well, because this is his world. We're just playing in it. For a hundred times. Yeah. A hundred playings. <laughs> and if you cannot afford to donate right now, that's absolutely okay. You can instead help us out. By heading on over to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a rating and a review. This week's review comes from Colin the Defiant, who gives us five stars and says, Engaging and brilliant analysis that enhances the Wild Bill experience. With this podcast, Scott and Matt have not merely entertained and enthralled me through hundreds of hours of incisive and witty analysis. They have permanently impacted my understanding of literature like the English class I never had. I never know if the next episode will make me feel dumb for missing obvious things or blow my mind with brilliant insight, but I enjoy every second of it. This is an unmissable companion material that further enhances the already incredible experience of the parahumans. Matt, I love this. Um, wow, that's like, that's so nice. Yeah, and I love this. 
I yeah, thank you so much. Like, I don't don't ever feel dumb for missing things, please. Like, don't. yeah, it's it's fine. Everyone misses stuff sometimes. Right. I thought I thought the axe was on fire. So, um, <laughs> but thank you so much. Like, that's that's so nice, and I'm glad I'm glad all you guys enjoy what we do so much. Like, it's uh, we've been joking a lot about hundred episodes, but it is really like staggering to me that we've been doing this for this long and that we continue to have such good fun with it and you guys continue to support us and participate and uh do all say all these super nice things it's so it's so lovely thank you so much yeah yeah we really appreciate it you know people are always saying to me um that they feel dumb for missing things and i'm like no if if you if you looked at this with as much in like attention and read it as many times as we do you would see these things it's yeah anyway yeah yeah thank you so much um that's it for this week next week we'll be back with more of arc 12 heavens to a hundred more a hundred more do you think ward's gonna be going on for a hundred more episodes 200 more chapters you think it'll never end (laughs) it's gotta end sometime matt it could be tomorrow does it have to end sometime i mean yeah oh like literally well then i'm sad entropy yeah, that's true. You got me.